rock and roll. Yeah. Again, with the rock and roll. Chris, one of these days, yes, we will rock and roll. But yes, for the most yeah. part, we don't really do that here. I do. I rock and roll every day. Do you? Yeah. That's your lifestyle choice. <laughs> Go ahead and take your speed up. You're number one now. Runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, sponsored by GE Aviation. I'm Hal Bryan and I'm Senior Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications here at EAA and here on my left. I'm Chris Henry. I'm the EAA Museum Programs Coordinator. Over there across the table. I'm Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director. And uh, and Chris, we've got a, a distinguished guest here with us, sitting here live. Why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce her? Absolutely. Uh, uh, my favorite shows are the ones where we get to have a guest here with us and, and pick their brain and ask them some questions. And uh, tonight we're very honored to have uh, World Championship uh, aerobatic pilot Patty Wagstaff with us. Uh, Patty, thank you for coming all the way to Oshkosh here to spend the evening with us. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. It's really fun to be here off uh, off air show or off air venture. <laughs> And as we're recording this now, it's just tonight that you're here for our speaker series. Of course, this will air a bit later. So, um, so for now, we will uh, we will assume that the speaker series was fantastic. Oh, it was great! <laughs> I couldn't believe how many people came. And uh, standing room only. I never even heard of that Green Bay football team. I and, I didn't know, you know Patty was such a singer. No, I didn't Actually, either. That was not what I expected <laughs> uh, from her from her speaking engagement. <laughs> so so Patty, I always like to go back to uh, go back to kind of the beginnings. Um, do you have any? Do you have a first sort of memory of aviation, or a first time you looked up and saw an airplane, or first airplane ride that really impacted you and said, "I've got to do this"? Yeah, I think one of my first memories. I mean, I always knew about airplanes, you know, from from the time because my dad was a pilot. But um, was my mom took me out to see my dad's B twenty five at the base. Wow, where he was, I I don't know where that was, and um, and I had pictures of it, and I was about three. And he he had to really cajole me to come and sit on his lap. It was it was I was scared. It was such a big airplane. I didn't want to get up there, and he convinced me. And I got up there and sat in his lap in the plane. And um, so that was probably my first memory. Wow. So it was scary at first, but then once you got up there, did yeah, it, it was still a little scary. You know, yeah. I was only three. And then an, another memory that I have. Uh, about three years later, when I was six, um, we flew to Honolulu with my dad in a DC-6, and my mom and I, and um, <clears throat> he was the pilot, he was the captain, and as we got on the plane, um, I said, this is kind of scary, look at this, it's a big, big airplane, you know, six years old, and my mom said, oh, don't be silly, it was, it's just an airplane, <laughs> and it's you know, really, her words at that time influenced my whole life. Because I wasn't allowed to be afraid of an airplane or anything else, for that matter. But later on, I found out that she was very afraid of flying. And she'd always take a Milltown back in those days, whatever, like a Valium or some some kind of sedative to fly. Wow. But I never knew that. She never told me that. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask who, who your dad flew for? Flew for uh, back then, it was like a non-skitter, like World uh, World Airways oh, and Flying okay. Tigers. But sure. It was a passenger plane. Interesting. But, Both and then my... he went with JL. Uh, okay. Both my parents worked for United and met on a DC-6. Oh, really? So I'm kind of here because of a DC-6 oh, in a wow. way. So. Yeah. So anyway, well, then what was, uh, jump ahead a, a few years. When did you start flying lessons? Uh, what were you, what did you get I into? I didn't start flying until I moved to Alaska. And um, I'd already been married and divorced. Um, and 
um, had lived in Australia for a long time, and I went up to Alaska to uh, to visit my family and ended up staying there. And then I learned to fly up there. But I have a, a little funny story about the first uh, when I first started. I was working for the Bristol Bay Native Association. Um, they were the nonprofit um, sort of arm of, of the, for the region that managed all the different nonprofit um, kind of VISTA programs and economic development programs for this area of 29 villages in southwest Alaska. And I was the economic development planner. I got this job, this amazing job, which I was totally unqualified for, but I figured it out. And um, <clears throat> so they said, you have to go to the villages and talk to the village councils and uh, I said, well, how do I get there? There's no roads. Nobody, nobody you know, you, you had to fly. And they said, well, you charter a plane. I said, oh, okay, well, how do I do that? And they go, well, just call one of the air taxis at the airport. So I called, there were two or three to choose from, and I called one. And um, on our first leg, we stopped to pick up another passenger, and on the takeoff, we crashed. We didn't really? get off the runway. Yeah, <clears throat> we didn't get hurt. The plane was upside down, and there was fuel pouring out. But <clears throat> but we didn't get hurt. The three of us, the pilot and the two passengers. And um, as I was walking back to the, you know, it was just a it was a gravel strip at a small village. As I was walking back up the strip, I that's when I decided that I was going to learn to fly. I thought, you know, this guy's. I can do much better than this guy. <laughs> you know, I've been around aviation all my life. I have an affinity for it. I always thought I'd want to fly someday, and that's when I started. That's an incredible reaction, though, because you know you were you were a little intimidated as a as a very little kid. Oh yeah. Around, you're around aviation, but you're a little intimidated by it, and then and then you're up in Alaska and you crash. You know, most people come out of a situation like that and say. Boy, I'm never flying again. Never. And then they eventually <laughs> ease back into it. It said, you yeah. crashed and said, no, I can do better. Yeah, that's, I think I'm, I'm incredible. very resourceful. And that was uh, part of my way of being resourceful of, you know. And also I was raised to not have any fear. And kind of like my mom saying, hey, it's an airplane. I'd be afraid of. And um, um, she came, I don't know, there's maybe too much information or boring, but she came from a background. Her mother was a lovely woman, but she had a lot of phobias. She was afraid of everything. I mean, elevator, she would never go in an elevator. She wouldn't fly. Um, she'd lock her and my mom into a closet when if there was a thunderstorm. She was so afraid of lightning. Wow. Things like that. She had all these for whatever reason. And my mother was determined that I wouldn't grow up like that. So whenever there was anything, she'd take me out to the airport to watch planes take off and land, you know, at San Francisco International and, yeah. and would never show any fear around me. <clears throat> so I think for me, growing up with that environment, and my dad was much the same. He, you know, there was, it was always go for it. You know, no helmets on bicycles or anything like that. And th <laughs> and they weren't crazy. You know, they were they were protective, but they didn't want me to have fear. So when that happened, that was sort of my natural reaction to it because of the way I was raised. So at what point did you decide to take your aviation passion and go into aerobatics? Well, I was always interested in aerobatics, um, even though I'd never been to an air show. When I was a kid, I used to help my dad with his um, check rides. I'd, I'd like to quiz him, and I always updated his jet charts. I was fascinated by all that stuff, and I'd ask him, what was it like to do a loop and a roll when, in your training? Because, if, you know, T6s and Stearmans and stuff. And he was like, oh, no big deal. You know, we do a loop. And, uh, and I was always bugging him about it. Um, but, you know, I was just one of these weird kids that liked to hang on monkey bars, and I'd stand on my head a lot. And I'd read books upside down. 
turn the book upside down. So I had this sort of weird affinity for that kind of thing. And uh, so I was very lucky to find aerobatics, right? Imagine what else I'd be doing. I have no idea. But um, <laughs> so after I started getting my ratings, after I learned to fly, um, I worked on my ratings through this Alaska Student Loan Program. It was fantastic. Um, fantastic loan program that they had. And <clears throat> I couldn't find anybody to teach me, even though, you know, I knew people at Satabrias, but, oh, no, we can't do a role. You know, they were afraid of it or um, nobody wanted to do anything. So finally this uh, a woman started teaching aerobatics in Anchorage where I was living, and uh, I took uh, I got a 10-hour course. My husband bought me a 10-hour course with her. And then in the meantime, uh, we flew. We had a 185, and we flew it down to the States and went to an air show and a contest because I was so interested in it. I'd already sub started subscribing to Sport Aerobatics Magazine, the IAC Magazine, and uh, reading everything I could about aerobatics. And <clears throat> so my husband said, well, let's go see, you know, if you've never been to an air show, never been to a contest. So we flew to Fond du Lac and uh, went to the IAC Championships. And uh, I went to, I came here to the uh, to Oshkosh for one day during the big convention. And, um, and then we flew to Abbotsford and, um, or vice versa, one before the other, and watch the air show. And I was, I was just, you know, this is what I want to do. <clears throat> I said, I can do that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, you just know. <laughs> it kind of picks you. So <laughs> so I started, uh, so we bought a decathlon, and I just started training all the time, trying to get better and better. And then um, um, I flew a couple of little air shows in Alaska, and then I flew the decathlon down to uh, Fond du Lac for my first contest. And I didn't come in last. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> well, Patty, one of the things uh, Chris and I were talking about um, be before the uh, the show today was uh, we're always so fascinated by aerobatic pilots with the routines that they do before um, before a, a performance or before a, you know before any kind of a routine. You know, uh, ground flying. You know, kind of that 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 kind of odd-looking dance step that, uh, that a lot of aerobatic pilots do. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, what you do before, before a, a routine or a performance? Well, um, I, I do the same thing. I walk through my routine several times, and I really plan it mentally. If you do that, once you get in the air, because things move fast and you have to, you have to adjust, if, if you have a plan— um, even if you have an abs you know, a, a written routine, which you know we, we do, most of us do, and you know exactly what you're going to do, sometimes the weather conditions dictate some changes, maybe adding something upwind, so you know, so on, so forth, so you can position everything carefully in front of the crowd. Um, you really have to think about it before you get in the air because things are moving so fast that you you know you want it to be a good show and you want it to be perfect every time so if you don't plan it ahead of time sometimes you know you'll you know yeah we all hate it when we come down and think that we could have done better so so mentally you need to be like okay that's what I prepared I'm going to go do that hammerhead down here this time instead of up here that you know small thing so <clears throat> um I do walk through it um some of the performers make a bigger thing out of walking through it than others. Some of us just do it in our heads. I like to walk through it, and some people make a real showmanship thing out of it, which is cool, too, because uh, people like to watch it. Um, but each maneuver we do is exactly how we fly it. So if we turn around, walk backwards, we're flying the maneuver exactly the way it's going to be flown in the air. And the idea is that when you get up in the air and you go into the, you know, enter the box for the show, that you've already flown it. Because the wind, the conditions are different every day with winds and temperature and so on and so forth. And your own mental, 
you know, where you are mentally, sometimes you're more distracted than, than other times. So, um, so, but I like to get away, um, you know, about an hour before, um, I start honing in my like space, um, who I allow into that space about at least an hour, usually more than that, an hour and a half, um, two hours. I'm pretty aware, but an hour before, hour and a half before there's only couple of people that I'll let sit in the car with me because that's kind of where we hide here in our cars and um, I don't go sit in the tent with other people and get distracted I'm always off we we all are we're all off by ourselves and there's a couple of people that know me that have crewed for me for years that are good friends and they can sit there and be there with me and I'm not distracted and I can talk to them so but not very I don't let too many people close to me until until after I fly Uh, and then um when you, when you're doing, uh, you know, air shows on a regular basis, um, how often does an air show pilot uh, add or subtract elements from um, uh, from a routine? Is that like a uh, by season kind of thing, or um, uh, how often do you adjust? Well, we have to adjust our flights each time we fly. You know, again, <clears throat> depending on the conditions of the day and the winds and the show box. A lot of times, I mean, every show is different. Sometimes you have this big, long, you know, military base or an Oshkosh. Um, other times you have a really small area or you're over the water, so there are going to be some adjustments. Um, but it's pretty rare to make big changes to a routine. It's very hard to make big changes to your established routine because it's it's all based on energy management so if you come out of a maneuver and you're going fast you need that energy to get to the next maneuver and if you just throw something like oh, I think I'll do this tumble you know where do we where do you put it and what do you have to change you really have to change three maneuvers before that maneuver to get the energy management and the altitude and the exact you know are you going to be in the center are you going to be in the end how are you going to present it um, so you can I know when I teach people to be air show pilots to, to develop a routine, I, we start with a very, very basic routine that they can build on. And that routine may not ever change throughout their whole flying career. Um, but they will be able to add things to these, you know, places where they have energy or where they don't have energy, if that makes sense. So you just mentioned you know, teaching air show pilots. Um, and so you've got a you've got a school. Is it the Patty Wagstaff Aerobatics School? Yeah, basically. And yeah. so, so you teach aerobatics and things. Is um, so you can talk a little bit about that? How how you started that, and then um, what uh, what do you get from that in in teaching maybe some of the next generation of aerobatic pilots, airshow pilots? So I started the school in 2014. So it's been about about four years now, and uh, I have to say I've enjoyed it a lot more than I ever thought I would. I had no idea it'd be so rewarding and meet so many great people and just you know it just it's been really fun um the, we get students from all over the world and we get students of all levels so we get people that are just getting their private we, we like them to at least have a private pilot license but we have had some students that are too young for private licenses that have been flying for quite a while that we'll take. Really? Oh, yeah, that their parents will bring, and, and they're good pilots, but they can't, you know, they haven't been able to solo or get their license yet. So you've had, you know, you're talking teenagers oh, yeah. at this point. Some of our best they, students are teenagers. And so there's a note from mom and dad that says, Dad usually you know, comes along. Really, mom, dear, dear yeah. Patty Wagstaff, please teach my child aerobatics. Yeah, That's I mean, incredible. they're not really kids. You know, they're, they're usually oh, sure. very mature. And, and uh, 
<clears throat> but we we do send out a questionnaire. We get information. We don't just take anybody, you know. So you know, we don't do like thrill rides. You know, usually, right. occasionally, we'll do something for somebody. But um, you know, we want to know something about them. What are you hoping to get out of this? And uh, you know, are you normal? <laughs> You're not crazy, are you? <laughs> Wait, if you they're <laughs> so, if, well, I mean, so we, if they we say no, like, I'm not. Do they get in? No, or they no, reject we don't actually idiot. ask them that. But, but we, uh, but you can get a sense. But sometimes we get people with really unrealistic expectations. You know, like uh, I've flown decathlon twice. I want to come and learn how to do tumbles and tail slides <laughs> next week. We're like, you know, it doesn't really and, work like that. And I'd like to headline at Oshkosh in about three months if that's we uh, get not those a sometimes. Yeah. So, so we like to get a, f- a feel, you know, and try and get them on track. And but um, so we get that, and then we get um, we get a lot of people who just want to become better pilots and want to stay out of trouble and learn upset training type. You know, that we do that as well. We get um, very experienced pilots, um, you know, ex-military, airline, that type of thing that um, feel that there's been a gap in their training because they've never done aerobatics and they really want to do it. And then we get people that think they might want to really get into contest flying or air shows. And Most people don't really know where they want to take it if they do get into it you know they start out a lot of people are afraid that it won't agree with them that's the way I felt when I first started I'm like oh I I really want to do it I hope I can do it you know so I get we get that question a lot is um I just want to see if I'm you know if 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 I have the ability to do it I'm like all you have to have is the desire everybody has the ability and the desire is the number one thing you know um, I mean, if you're able to get in the plane and fly it, you have the ability to, to learn this stuff. So, so we get we get all of that. And then, then also, you know, I get more advanced students um, who have competed and want to start doing air shows. We just had um, I just had a guy a couple of weeks ago in a Mustang uh, in a P51 who um, has been flying his whole life. He and his dad own this Mustang. He's a very good pilot, and he's done a lot of fast, you know, formation. Oh, sure. You know, under the fast card right. thing. Um, but had never had an air show waiver. So I worked with him on his first air show. He's very good. He just flew his first show the other day. And um, so that was really fun, too. So we get all, you know, the whole spectrum. That's got to feel it's amazing great. to see yeah. somebody like that go yeah. through their first show. And when you when you get somebody who's, who's struggling with, you know, with fear or not being comfortable being upside down or maybe working with motion sickness and things like that, how do you work through those? Well, we can work through pretty much anything. You know, the the fear, I think we're um, pretty good at working through that. And we just say, look, you know, you know, re- most people, I think, feel confident that we know what we're doing. Sure. So that's important. You really want to give them the feeling of confidence. Our airplanes are really kept clean. You know, <laughs> you don't walk out in the hangar and see some piece of junk. You know, it's shiny. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're... We try and look professional, and, and we want them to have a really good feeling when they get in the cockpit that, oh, this is a nice airplane. You guys are professional. And sometimes they have a hard time letting go, and I'm like, look, just try and relax. I'm not going to let anything happen, you know, and talk them through it a little bit, and they are able to get over it. Motion sickness takes varying amounts of time. Some people never get it. Some people have a hard time getting past it. And most people, though, it's one or two flights. And they're really? they're over it. Um, most people experience a little bit of nausea the first flight, and then they then they get past it. So wow, it was always shocking to me that like Bob Hoover got used to get airsick. I've heard him say that, <laughs> yeah. but uh, and I know some other airship pilots that claim that, but I don't know. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, a, a few seconds ago, you mentioned the P fifty one, and I just have to call out 
again that I was at uh, the gathering of Mustangs yeah. and uh, saw you fly um, a P-51 and and dedicate that performance to the Wasps. Thank you for watching. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was Princess Elizabeth. And that, uh, the, how, what did that mean to you to get to sort of represent such an important part of our history? It was really, I mean, it was a huge honor for me, and I really put a lot of thought into the routine and the music, and I designed the routine around the music, which I don't do because I can't, I don't play music when I'm doing a fast, hardcore, aerobatic kind of routine and an extra. Um, but when you can fly, you know, when the plane, you know, the loops are bigger, it takes more time. You, I had the music piped into the, um, it was Hallelujah, and it was, um, you know, Leonard Cohen's song. And, um, but it's about women, the, the song is, and so it fit perfectly for this dedication to the wasps. And there were a lot of wasps there, too. And a lot of them came over and talked to me and crawled up in the wing, and, and I got to see them at night at the hotel. And so it really meant a lot to be able to do that. Wow. That is powerful stuff. Yeah, ab absolutely. So you've already alluded to the fact that you've lived in uh, quite a few interesting places around the world. Uh, how does how does that kind of um, change the or has it changed the way that that um, that you approach? Like, I guess kind of an open ended question. Life in general, flying specifically, anything like that? Well, I don't know about flying. That's that's interesting. I think life in general for sure, because I've lived places where I was the mi minority. I haven't always been, you know, the average person walking down the street. Like growing up in Japan from a young age, I was, it was pretty unusual to see this American kid running around the streets. And we had a lot of freedom there because it's very, very safe. Um, so I was taking public transportation, you know, from the age of 10. And um, so, you know, you're under scrutiny in a different way than you are here. Um, so in one sense, I was allowed a lot more freedom than I would have been here, you know, where the crime rate's higher. Um, and so that probably affected uh, my adventurous side, you know. <laughs> um, but I think people who travel are, you know, far less ignorant and more accepting of, of differences and diversity. So I think it's really important for everybody to get out. And they have this thing in Australia where, um, you know, you've heard gap year from college, that kind of thing. Almost everybody in Australia, the young people, they're, it's like they're encouraged. They're kicked out of the nest and, like, go backpacking for a year. Go to England, go to India, go to the States, just get away from Australia. It's just a big rock. And they, <laughs> you know, it's, it's isolated. And, you know, we are too. And, and, um, and it's good. They come back with, you know, a different view. Yeah. Um, you, how long were you in Alaska? I was there a um, long time, um, 15 plus years. My parents lived there longer than that. Sorry, they say Alaska, I meant Australia. Australia's there <laughs> about five years. Uh, um, yeah, States I, versus continents, but hey. Yeah, it's all A's, yeah. and then there's Arizona. Was, at least yeah. it wasn't Austria versus Australia. <laughs> they get really mad about that. Yes. Yeah, you know, I brought my wife a mug from Vienna that just says there are no kangaroos in Austria. They sell them at the airport really? there. I absolutely love that. That's funny. Isn't that amazing? They have a sense yeah. of humor about it? So yeah. you're not alone, Tom. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. It's gonna lay in the day. I guess this is my gaff for the episode. But uh, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, I was in, uh, I was in New Zealand for a semester in college, and oh, yeah, nice. I remember that. That, uh, yeah, everybody has their. I think they call it what the overseas experience or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know if they have a name for it. Yeah. But we should yeah. do that here. We really should. I like, think we should too. I, I keep running into these kids that don't want to leave home. I'm like, my parents are like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, enough like, already. Send them away. Give them a ticket. Is there is there any place in the in the world that's still on your list you haven't been yet? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, like Morocco would be great. You know, places like that I haven't sure. been to. A few places. Chile would be nice. Wow. 
I just came back from China for an air show in Inner Mongolia. That wow. was pretty interesting. And um, so that was, I'd wanted to fly a show over there, and it finally worked out time-wise. It was a very long trip, Oof. but uh, it was fun. Here's a special message for all you Green Dot podcast listeners. Hello, this is Jack Pelton, the chairman of the board and CEO of EAA. Today, I'm asking you to make a year-end gift to the EA All-Member Annual Fund for Excellence campaign. It's only through your generous support that EA can open the doors to aviation for young and old alike. With nearly 250,000 members worldwide, gifts of all levels are important to meeting our $1.2 million goal. Sharing the spirit of aviation during the season of giving by making a donation opens endless possibilities for the next generation. The impact of your gift is far-reaching and makes a difference right away by underwriting museum educational programs including school tours, safety and advocacy initiatives, resources for EA chapters and experimental amateur-built home builders, Air Academy and Sport Pilot Academy programs, the Woman Soar, You Soar experience, programs that nurture the next generation of aviators, flight experiences in a variety of historic aircraft, sustaining and improving our beautiful campus and facilities that preserve, curate, and promote aviation. Your decision to make a year-end gift makes it all happen. Please make your $25, $50, $100, or a generously more tax-deductible donation today online at eaa.org backslash annual fund or by mail. Thank you for your support. And now back to the Green Dot Podcast. So out of all the airplanes that you've flown, I mean, you've flown, how many different airplanes have you have you flown? I don't know. Um, I did count at one point, maybe 180 or something. I don't know. Wow. 150? Is there, is there one that stands out for you as just hands down your favorite? Well, the extra is the ultimate fun airplane. You know, it can do anything you can think of. I mean, it's, you can't really compare anything to that. Wow. So, but yeah, the Mustang's pretty cool too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I fly the Tucano. I flew that here at Oshkosh. I remember times. that. That's yeah. fun. That was it's like really a Mustang. Cool it has see. very similar performance, yeah. but obviously turboprop. So have you seen the little thing. LSA Tucano clone? That yeah, isn't that it's, funny? it's almost like a half scale thing, cute. but it's gorgeous. It it's, looks yeah, it looks really airplanes. well proportioned and everything too. Yeah. And these little phony exhaust stacks and stuff <laughs> up front. That's very cool. So um, speaking of flying different things, uh, you've got some experience in this. Of course, is very present or present in the news right now but you got some experience in aerial firefighting yeah as well can you talk about that a little bit if i remember you were flying was it a bronco over 10 bronco yeah so, i did that for three years i flew for cal fire uh three seasons and the last season i was in chico where the big campfire just happened wow so i've been obsessed with that because i have friends there that are firefighting still and new people that lived in this town that got burned out you know that burned and and uh my friends have been keeping me up to date one friend in particular She's now flying for Airspray, a big contractor there that does aerial firefighting. So um, I've been pretty obsessed with that, knowing the area so well. Um, So, yeah, that um, that was a great experience. I love the flying, and I really miss it. The lifestyle was difficult, um, especially with my dogs. I lived in my uh, motorhome for three seasons during, during the season. And then we'd come back to Florida in the winter. And it was fun, you know, for a while. Um... 
And then I was I had a slot to go into tankers, and then I decided um, just the whole lifestyle thing. I would do it. I would. I don't know. I just decided I didn't want to, you know, I couldn't do anything else. That was it. Right. Even that, though I love the flying so much. I couldn't, I couldn't even, you're, you're on call six days a week with one day off. Um, and I had, uh, the last year I was there, I had a friend that was really sick and uh, she's okay now, but, um, you know, she was, she had cancer and I couldn't be there for, her, you know, and you can't do anything else. Except in your off season, which is pretty short, and right. the more senior you get in the system, the the shorter your off seasons are because you get better bases and you fly longer. Oh, sure. <clears throat> so, um, so for that three years, then no air show flying at all. I did a or few. Just a yeah, I did some. I did some in the winter in Central season. America, um, and I also did a few out west. Wow. And um, so I did do some. The last year I was there, I couldn't get one day off to do an air show though. Wow. So now flying the Bronco, you're flying out ahead of the tankers. Yeah, Can we're like the forward air control. So in the morning you get there, the day doesn't start till about 10 a.m. and it goes until half an hour before sunset. So as the season gets longer, the days are shorter. Um, and so you get there, you pre-flight the airplane, you get everything ready. You have your flight suit there. Um, if you're not wearing it all day, you have it either at the plane or handy. Um, and you know, you make sure everything's ready to go. And when you hear an alarm for a fire, you're you want to get off the ground within five minutes. And in the in the wow. Bronco, we had so it was myself or the pilot, and then you have a what's called an ATGS in the back seat, which is a very experienced firefighter. It stands for Air Tactical Group Supervisor, um, and they would actually do the controlling. But as you get better and better at it, you can help them a little bit, calling tankers coming in and so on. So it's sort of like this wedding cake approach when you get out to a fire it's a fire fire traffic area and you have airplanes at all different altitudes you might have helicopters at 500 feet tankers are at a thousand feet we might be at 1500 2000 feet um news helicopters will be another couple thousand feet above you and you have to manage all that and then if you get into busy airspace and there's airports around like we did one in um, oakland and we were right in the corridor for San Francisco International for some commuters coming in. And and um, so, as, you know, as a good air attack pilot, you want to listen to the incident commander on the ground. You might have 10 frequencies up. Really? You can't really handle any more than <laughs> three or four, you know, five. And you hear the incident commander, and you hear they might have two incident commanders. And, and, um, and then you're talking to the you know th then you have to hear all the tankers and all the helicopters coming in and you have to know where they are because you have to position your ATGS and the, you know your backseater to watch all the drops when they're dropping retardant and then you're talking to approach like San Francisco approach and I remember this one day in San Francisco area just like I started turning down radios <laughs> you know because I was told I was like this is what it means to be saturated you know it's, can't it's imagine. yeah, turning down. Okay, I don't need to listen to. I'll just listen to approach or whatever it was, right. you know. So it's exciting. Um, every fire is different. The fire behavior is different. The fires can blow up, as we've seen, really, really fast. You go out to a little fire uh, at the base of a mountain. There's a little wind going. It's dry, and the whole mountain's on fire. But two hours later, and there's tankers all over it, and so um, some of the coolest flying I've ever done, and uh, I loved it. That's got to be pretty rewarding too, if yeah. But also, there's got to be a, a another 
tough emotional element to it as well because yeah. you're seeing all of this. You've got you've got a front row seat to this yeah, amazing the animals, devastation. The animals running is really hard. Oh, seeing that, would, that yeah. yeah, that would. But that would you're tear me up. you know you're really trying to save things. So. Right. Um, so yeah, but it's cool though. You know, you have your flight suit. I mean, or your t-shirt. You'd wear it all day and you know every day. That's you'd, your our uniforms were the flight suit in a. Uh, Cal Fire t-shirt and you'd walk into a grocery store at the end of the day and people would come up you know you saved my house I, I oh, didn't save wow. their house but you know they well, were very appreciative that's really something so are they still using the, the Broncos yep now they they're are. still active yep so. yep they have the biggest that's, fleet of Broncos right um they have 15 I think right now or 16 wow. so that had to be a fun airplane to fly it's a fun airplane yeah it's it's a very uh it's very unconventional and takes a little while to get really smooth with it because it's a bit heavy and it has different kind of control. It's tab driven, yeah. um, you know, big power levers and uh, very sensitive Garrett engines that you know when you put the when you put the props all the way into you know full prop mode, it's you know any little thing that you do. So it takes a while to learn how to fly it well, I think. Uh, but. Did you ever roll one? I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> However, there's this a private exactly group. This not exactly answer the question, though, <laughs> no, to no. be fair. No, they made it really clear when they hired me. If, if we find out that you roll one of our airplanes, you're going to be fired. I'm like, God, don't worry. So, not no, even on I your last day. I mean, come on. But I'm involved with this group now out, and uh, they're putting together two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a private individual has bought two or three, and he wants to put them out there in tribute to the POWs and Vietnam-era oh, right, yeah. pilots. And... Um, and he's talking about a couple of us doing some shows in them. So, really? Yeah. So oh, they're, one of them's almost done, actually. Well, you keep us posted on that. Yeah. Well, that's going to be cool so, to see. That'll be pretty cool. That so. is awesome. Bob Hoover did the best demo in one, though. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. I used to always ask American. him about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the, it's not an easy plane flight. It's heavy, you know. I can imagine. So. <laughs> Anyway, well, we're not you talking see? too long. Am I giving you too long of an answer? Oh, no, no, no. This is great. No, okay. This is great. I could, we could do another two hours. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. <laughs> they won't the, let us because you have a speaking interview. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> that. i got to speak some more. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so where do you see the future of aerobatic flying going? Is Do you have any sort of uh, forecasts for that? Well, I I think that's a good question. Um, I haven't really thought about it a lot. Um I think there's always going to be a place for aerobatics with pilots to go have fun. I do believe that everybody should learn how to fly aerobatics, basic aerobatics. Um, I think we'd have a lot less loss of control accidents and um, if people got their heads outside the cockpit, covered up all that glass, and just looked outside and learned how to fly the plane, you know. <clears throat> and I know I sound like an old-timer and a geezer, um, but I think any aerobatic pilot would say the same thing. Um, as far as competition air shows, I think it's always going to be a small niche group. There aren't too many people that are willing to, you know, it's, it's based on, you know, desire, passion, whatever you want to call it. You know, you have to sacrifice a lot to be a full-time air show pilot or, or a unlimited competition pilot, but everybody should go, everybody that does aerobatics should try a contest, you know? So I... I think that there's room for growth in IAC competition. I know we encourage everybody to go try it. If they buy an aerobatic plane, to just go do it. It's not about beating people. It's about just becoming better. But the people that reach the top who, they sacrifice a lot. They sacrifice family time or, you know, a life. You really 
it can't have too many other you know hobbies or whatever you know it's it's not it's not for everybody and it's hard for women so um i mean all the women that i know that have had kids generally don't continue doing air shows so so we've um patty we've talked about um you know you've had a very uh very full career in aviation there, there's a lot of stuff that you've done a lot of places you've lived uh so far of, so, so far, far yeah. yeah no end in sight a lot, a lot of things that you've Anything accomplished could happen yeah um so i mean among many you you were the uh among many accomplishments you were the the um uh, national aerobatic champion uh you were the first recipient of the Char- charlie hillard trophy uh this or any other accomplishments really stand out to you in your career anything you particularly treasure uh, yeah, being the first woman to win the nationals was uh, really important to me because when I first started competing, people were nice. Everybody's super nice and helpful, but they sort of like, oh, it's so cute that a woman's doing this because there were so few of us. There still are, isn't, aren't a lot um, of women competing, but there, there's there's quite a few. And um, as I started getting into competition. Um, People would ask me what I, you know, what I wanted to do. They could see I was kind of going at it aggressively, and and um, I I had to set goals along the way that that you know I didn't know what they were going to be when I first started. I just wanted to fly aerobatics, so I set the goal of getting on the U.S. aerobatic team. And when I did that, people asked me my goal, and I said, "Well, I want to be U.S. national aerobatic champion." They're like, "Oh, honey, you know, gr- you know, <laughs> girls really." I mean, it was desegregated in the '70s. Um, before that, they had a feminine champion, and um, so on. But um, I'm like, well, why? You know, why, why couldn't I be? And, um, <laughs> and they're like, well, women, the, my favorite one is women aren't aggressive enough was the one I heard. I'm like, oh. And wow. so my stock answer to that is, I guess you never went to high school because <laughs> the girls in my high school were really aggressive. And, uh, and they were, you know, and there were other, and even the, the women were like, oh, they're not going to let us do it, you know. So, um, I just looked at it as an educational, uh, I'm going to educate people to let them know that I can do it. I can still be fun. I can still be, have, you know, friendly and, and, uh, have a good time, but that's, you know, so I, I took me seven years, but, um, but I did it. <laughs> and then after I won, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and somebody came up to me like a few weeks later at an air show and said, you know, you have to go win it again. And I said, oh, why? And they go, because they'll say it's a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> so I wow. said, okay, I'm going to win it three times and then I'm, I'm done, which was about, you know, right, 12 years full-time competition. Because you can't, it's kind of like firefighting, you can't do anything else. So, um, you know, you can't have any other hobbies. Or I got tired of being... I'm in training, you know. You feel like a prima donna after a while. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of that. And um, uh, but it's it's good to have a goal. I was lucky that I had that goal, you know. And um, and then that so that was that was a big one. <laughs> that is uh, that is truly remarkable. And it's um, you're you're just you're just walking, talking, living, breathing proof that uh, that anybody who thinks it it couldn't be done, it's just it's just absurd. Well, the airplane doesn't know the difference. I exactly. mean, it sounds kind of cliched, but it's so true. Uh, and and you look back through aviation history, and you look back at at so many pioneering aviators. They were so many of these women were not, you know, great women pilots. They were simply put, great pilots. And 
As you they said, had, the airplane doesn't know the difference. No, they just wanted to fly or they had a goal or right. something to prove. And no, the airplane doesn't know the difference. But um, yeah, um, things are changing a lot, which is good. And uh, but, you know, but I was I felt like I was really lucky that I had a, I was able to have a goal like that. You know, I just came at the right time in history and the right yeah. point where, you know, a few years later, somebody else, another woman would have eventually won. And then somebody asked me, um, so I wouldn't have had that goal, uh, but after I won, you know, the first time, first three times, whatever, um, a couple of years later, another woman, Diane Hakala, who'd been competing around the same time, she won the nationals. And a couple of people came up to me and said, oh, what do you think? Are you jealous? And I said, no, are you kidding? That's totally the opposite. I was so happy. <laughs> and now there have been three or four, maybe four women who've won, and nobody makes anything of it. It's like, Oh, thank goodness for yeah, that. Yeah, isn't that great? That's a big step in the right so direction. So it was, you know. Oh, that's terrific. Well, we were chatting just a little bit before the show started, Patty, that uh, one of my personal favorite claims of fame, <laughs> claims to fame of yours, um, is uh, is when we sort of barely cross paths professionally. Probably it's coming back 15, to me though. It fifteen was plus more years than ago, fifteen almost yeah. twenty. Yeah. Um, when uh, when I was at Microsoft, I was one of the leads on the Flight Simulator project, yeah. and we modeled your extra for a few versions, and and worked with you on the likeness and getting the airplane right and everything yeah. else. What do you remember about that? Uh, well, that I remember era? really well. I mean, I was based in Tucson then, and and I went up to Seattle yeah. to Microsoft headquarters, which was really cool, the campus there, and did some um, some little online. I mean, it was kind of early days of all the streaming. Yeah, that's you know, right. That yeah, we did get. some of the, the some training online videos, training and, videos and, and I got to write stuff. the script for it. Yep. And um, um, it was really exciting to be in, involved in that. And um, everybody wants to know, the big question is, did you make a lot of money? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I didn't make any money. But I mean, they paid my expenses and stuff. But I, you know, I was just thrilled to be on there. Hey, if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else. Well, you know, it, but it was, back you were Microsoft. great to deal with. Well, we didn't everybody get to be there. the richest company in the world by giving away money. Nope, apparently, that's what everybody no. said. So that's, that's, I know. But that's that's one of the big the big questions I get. That's like, really oh, I I never would have never would have thought about yeah. that. But yeah, we were pretty cheap. I can. But no, it's fine <laughs> but, because I'm like, hey, if I if I say no, I want money, then you'll just find another aerobatic pilot, and I don't I get know, to be on this. And all the all the young kids I meet today are the young people that learned to learn to fly with Microsoft Flight right. Sim. All flew my airplane. So yeah. I was in when I was in China a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Um, the guy flying a photo. We did a little photo shoot, and I was flying an extra over the Gobi Desert. It was really cool. And the pilot of the Husky that we were using posted afterward. He goes, "I flew Microsoft Flight Sim flight. You know, it was 15 years ago, and now <laughs> I'm flying with Patty in the desert. It was so oh, cool that he posted that. That is know? so cool to hear. And I still hear yeah. from people all the time too who you yeah. know, used it. And you know, that was an important uh, you know, 11, 12 years of my life." Uh, working on the product as well. Well, and um, you, I mean, you taught people how to fly, you know. That's, and it's, it's, yeah. it's stuck with people. And it's it was a great way to get uh, aviation in front of, you know, every version between one and a half and three million people would go out yeah. and get it. And yeah, the biggest well, selling those kids. game. Yeah, so Tom, was, Tom yeah. was one of those. And What was the first and, version of that? Was it 98? So the, the 98 was the first one with the extra. Yeah. So, I mean, the first version of Flight Sim was in 1981. Well, I know that, but yeah. Microsoft, oh. blah, 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 yeah. but... When uh, when we were all kids, but um, uh, one of the things that I always remember, Patty, was uh, um, I was in test engineering for quite a while, which is a polite way of saying I was I was really good at complaining about everything for a living, and uh, and entering bug reports. And I'll I'll never forget um, 
it was probably Flight Sim 2002, somewhere in there where we had, we were doing the extra again, and I think maybe had updated, we'd updated the paint scheme at least once throughout. To yeah, you did update it to things, the red and white one. To the red and white, yeah, yeah. from the early blue and uh, Flight Sim 98. And, uh, I begged um, for that. <laughs> well, we listened. We won't pay yeah, you, but you we'll, we'll do that. No, I didn't. Um, I, I'm not complaining. Um, but I remember uh, uh, in in 3D design and in the, the gaming and simulation world, you're always worried about uh, about the number of polygons used to render a particular object, or oh. or, or in this case, a, a person. And um, the more polygons you have, the smoother the curves are, the better that it looks, but the slower your computer runs, sort of simply put. And um, I remember uh, looking at the, when the artist had finished uh, the latest round of the, the extra with you in it, and they had used, no offense if they're listening out there, but it looked like they used maybe four polygons on your whole head. And so you look like a Minecraft person, you know, 20 <laughs> years before there was such a thing. You were just a big square head with a totally flat face and that, and it, it was a photo of your face, but it was stretched across a square. And when Ew. you zoomed in, really? and your your mouth was kind of crooked, and you, you said the word "really" just now. So I, I entered this bug report with a screenshot. Here's a photo of Patty Wagstaff. Here's a screenshot from Flight Sim side by side, and then just in big letters, "Really." Thank you, thank you for and, that. And they made it better. I don't think it was ever, you know, it, it, it was never as good as it could have been because we had to spend some polygons on the airplane and everything else, and the trees and the runways and all that stuff. Polygons. But it definitely looked, it definitely looked better. But uh, but yeah, when you, I would never forget you being a big blockhead and then having like, <laughs> like kind of a King Tut helmet of oh, black God. of black curly hair. Um, well, and and you let me go blonde in flight sim. Yes, yeah. Thank so that's we were probably able to do that. because of you too. We did uh, actually. I had a hand in that. We did talk for a little while about whether or not uh, I, I, I think this is okay to confess. I think the statute of limitations has passed. But whether or not there would be a uh, like a patty hair color selector in the menu <laughs> where you could choose, you know, blonde or brunette. Um, that's funny. We suggested it. It's a huge topic of conversation. I hear it all the time. <laughs> sure that it <laughs> is. Crazy. So it would have been kind of a fun little Easter egg to Actually, do with I kind of like but, it. Yeah. Which but, era, uh, you know? <laughs> exactly. So Patty through the ages. So anyway, well, speaking of eras, I think we've we've probably come to the end of uh, end of this one. Another another fantastically fun episode, Patty. We cannot thank you enough for taking some time thank to you. join it's us. It's been really fun talking about all this stuff. Uh, the, the the pleasure has uh, has all been ours. What a what an honor and a privilege it's been. Uh, and and great to get to say hello again. Yeah. I, one thing I didn't mention on the show that we talked about beforehand, I do have to point out quickly as we wind up that I I did get to go out on the runway, and uh, and hold the ribbon for you yeah. once during a hold ribbon cut pole. here at Oshkosh. Hold the pole. Not That's the right. ribbon. No, oh come on! I held the ribbon. Darn it! <laughs> <laughs> I'm 30 feet tall, and yeah. I held the ribbon. I held the pole. Yes, for the ribbon. And I will never forget that as long as I live. Just you know, being walked out onto a runway during an air show and just feeling like this is. So not where I'm supposed to be. I've been going to air shows where my whole was life. It, it was know? it was here at Oshkosh. Oh, it was. Yeah, so it was when because Microsoft would come out as a sponsor and exhibitor. It's coming back. All and uh, yeah. and then and then Bruce Williams, our yeah. mutual contact, said, "Hey, there's an extra there's an extra slot, you know, to hold the pole during the ribbon cut. Are you interested?" <laughs> Duh. So going out there and then brace myself and holding this thing and then you make you made one or two passes first. Did I? I huh. if, as oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, I usually do. Yeah. So just just sort of getting the feel for it and then. And then I, you know, we was okay. This is this is really cool. It's great. She's right here. And then something about the last one, you just sort of, I just remember you you coming hitting the altitude, just snapping into place. Yeah. And then just coming right at it. And I, I 
I will swear, I'm, I'm, I must be exaggerating, but don't don't wreck my memories. I swear we made eye contact. And I was like, you're this close and you're, what, 160 knots or something like this? Something like that, yeah. You know, just barreling right at me and thinking, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. This is the coolest thing I've ever done. Oh, my God, there's Patty Wagstaff. Hi, Patty. Don't kill me. This is awesome. You know, there's a lot going on in your head when you're on the runway holding this pole. And then just, whoop, the ribbon's cut. And then all of a sudden, whoa, there's no more tension on the ribbon. Yeah, and you got to keep them falling back, over. You keep them falling on your back. And thinking, well, that's what I want to do at an air show is be the guy who <laughs> fell over. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, to have that tiny, tiny slice of, of uh, adrenaline from one of your performances. That is cool. Um, when, you know, when, when it was a, another day at the office for you. But no, you that know, was I remarkable don't look at that as another day at the office. I take it very seriously. Why don't you come, at, if I'm lucky enough to get invited back yeah. again next year, why don't you come and do it again? I would love to. Okay. You hear to hear first, folks. Okay. I'm invited. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Patty, thank you once again, and uh, thanks to the thanks listeners for, for in- me. indulging uh, indulging all of our tangents. Uh, but that's what makes these uh, so much fun to do and so much fun to record. Uh, thanks to everybody out there for all the feedback. Please keep that coming. You can email us feedback at ea.org. Comment on the blog posts when they go up at inspire.ea.org. Excuse me. Leave reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, any of those places. Keep that coming in, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.